Welcome to this week's podcast from Gathering Place Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit our website at gatheringplacechurch.com. Amen. You can be seated. We want to welcome you uh, to church this morning. We're happy you're here. If you're a first-time visitor, we're glad you're here. We want you to feel uh, right at home. Weren't you guys excited all that uh, the Holy Spirit did on our Easter Sunday last weekend? Wasn't it great? Uh, a lot of different ones were touched and had come forward for salvation, and uh, it, it was incredible. We want to thank everyone also who helped with the Easter egg hunt. We packed out over a thousand Easter eggs, and our, our kids were able to have a great time on their Easter egg hunt, so that was awesome as well. Uh, but last week we told you, told you we're going to be starting a new series out of the book of Acts. And if you look at, at church history and you look at um, what came next after the resurrection of Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that God gave us this promise of the Holy Spirit and we can have the power of the Holy Spirit operating uh, in our lives. So I want to share a scripture with you and, and uh, give you the title of the message this morning of of what we're going to be talking about. And it comes from uh, Luke chapter chapter 4, verse 29. I'm going to read that to you. It says, or excuse me, Luke 24, verse 49. Getting a little backwards there. It says in verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But here it is. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So in other words, Jesus is telling his disciples, wait till I send the Holy Spirit, and then you can go. So the title of the message this morning is wait for it. Everybody say that, wait for it. Wait for it. Double it, I like it. <laughs> you know, I was just talking this morning, and uh, there's a testimony sitting in here. Uh, Miss Paula, she's one of our... Uh, intercessors. She has been uh, praying with a friend, and uh, her friend had come with her this morning. Judy, if you would just wave your hand at us. Uh, she was, I was just talking to her this morning, and, and uh, we've been praying for her, and we've been uh, believing for her with Paula, and God has healed her of a brain aneurysm because of all of our prayers. We've been inter- the intercessors, and let that encourage you as he's healed this morning. And we're thankful she's here and she has the love of God. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. That's incredible. Praise God. So we love you, Judy, and we're happy you're here this morning. So wait for it. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, I want to take a minute and give you the context of the book of Acts and My prayer is throughout this uh, series and really throughout this time because we don't know when we're going to bring this series to a close because we're believing for the Holy Spirit to do something, uh, bring a fresh outpouring into this church and into your lives. The amazing thing about the book of Acts is uh, you look at a lot of the different New Testament books and it usually comes with a solid ending where it says amen or it it finishes up uh, what the writers were wanting to conclude. But with the book of Acts, it, it leaves it open because it's an ongoing story of the church. We are an ongoing part of the book of Acts when you think about it. You know, when when the church, because when it comes to the word of God, 
when you think, okay, what, how did different books of the Bible make it into the canon, which is our scripture this morning? Who put the word of God together? And it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but who put the word of God together was the church, the early church. They, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, went and, and said, okay, these are, uh, you look at the, the Gospels, for example. Oh, you see a lot of the same stories when you read the Gospels, right? The reason there's four different Gospels is because there's different perspectives of the stories to show that it was true. That's why you see different perspectives in those Gospels. And so we see uh, in the book of Acts, the author, if you want to write this down, the author of the book of Acts is is St. Luke, or uh, Luke the Evangelist, as as they would call him. And Luke is the author of Acts, but he's also, and this should be an easy one, any idea what else he might have authored was the Gospel of Luke. Okay. (laughs) So that's, that's an easy one for you this morning. So he authored the Gospel of Luke, and he authored uh, Acts. And how uh, Luke and Acts work together, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. But how Luke was written, it was written right around the same time that Acts was written. So really how Luke intended it, you would read straight through Luke, and then you would go directly into Acts, that they were together. Uh, so it's kind of a continuation. So as you want to get context on to really appreciate the beginning stages of the church, go back and read uh, Luke or look into John into those last few uh, chapters of Scripture to see where the church was. Some other interesting facts about Acts and, and those, those final uh, days of, of post-resurrection. If you didn't know, when Jesus uh, rose from the grave, uh, he uh, had made appearances to his, to his disciples. And he also made appearances, it says, in 1 Corinthians, that he made appearances to a group of 500 people. He appeared uh, in his resurrected body. And there was, so there was this gap between when Jesus was resurrected and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was with the apostles for 40 days. He made appearances. He wasn't with them each and every day, but he would make appearances and would began training them and preparing them to go out and, and change the world, literally turn the world upside down. And think about how Jesus turned the world upside down. He didn't appear in front of thousands and thousands of people. He left this gospel, he left this truth with 12 men. It's just a small group of people. And then they took it out and and did missionary work and preached Jesus. They preached the resurrection. They preached, as we talked about in our Bible Benefit series on, on forgiveness, that you were released. You don't have to be in bondage. There's freedom. Jesus rose from the dead. And so there was this 40-day period as Jesus began to train them. And I think a lot of the times we celebrate Easter and resurrection, and then we just want to rush right into Pentecost. We want to rush when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, and and Pentecost, which means 50, the number 50, because it was on the 50th day that the Holy Spirit had come. That's really the mark of when the church began, was on the day of Pentecost. But this morning, as we start this series on Acts, I want to look at some nuggets that I believe is really going to encourage you of what happened in those 40 days uh, before the Holy Spirit had came and Pentecost had, had been birthed and the church had started. If you look and you go and you read uh, those passages of Scripture on the topic of, of waiting for it, you know what's neat is, is the book of Acts opened and the book of Luke opens. It has a, a similar opening where uh, it says, Dear uh, Thelo- Theophilus, is the name that Luke is addressing to. He addresses Theophilus in Luke, and he address, addresses him in Acts. Now, here's, here's a cool little fact about this. If you look at the opening of the Gospel of Luke, 
he says, dear most excellent Theophilus. And then you look at the opening of Acts, he says, dear Theophilus. And I'm like, okay, why is, why is the name a little different there? And what had happened when, when Luke was addressing uh, Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Theophilus was a new believer, that he was just coming to faith in Jesus. So Luke was writing to him to show him, hey, this is why I need to believe in Jesus. Here's, here's the account of, uh, as one of his disciples, here's what I saw. And at the time, he was not a member of the church, so he was addressing him in his proper name. And if you go and you study Theophilus, he was a governor of high rank in that time. So he was being proper, and, and it even shows us kind of a way where you can reach and evangelize, that you, you take heed to, okay, this is what this person does, and, and you kind of do a little study on of how can I reach them and speak to their world and speak to what they're used to. And so he said, most excellent. And then you fast forward to Acts. What's neat is he had come to faith in Jesus, Theophilus did, and he was a member of the church. So now he's just a Theophilus. He's a brother and, and he's a sister. And that's what's the amazing thing about the church is that we, there can be a state senator sitting in a, in a church service and there can be a homeless man sitting in, in the same service. And how the church is supposed to treat those two different people is the same, Right? We don't treat people differently because of a title or because of a status. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So Luke is making this, uh, this definition that now that Theophilus is a part of the church, he's one of us now. He's a brother and sister of Christ. So I thought that was a fun fact uh, of the book of Acts and how Luke handled it. Uh, also, the reason he wrote to Theophilus, uh, if you look at, break down his name in the Greek, which is pretty cool, uh, Theo, the first part of his name means God. And the second part of his name is uh, phileo, which if, if you're familiar uh, with agape, which means the God kind of love, and phileo, which means brotherly love, brotherly affection. So really, as he's addressing Theophilus, he's writing to those who love God, which is you and I. That's the book of Acts, those who love God to encourage the church. And uh, that might sound familiar, phileo, so you don't remember it, that's brotherly affection. Can anybody think of a city we have named? Philadelphia, right. So that's where Philadelphia came from was the Greek for phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love. So that's a way you can remember uh, that word there. So just some cool little things that is just packed in that first introduction uh, of Scripture. So bringing it into context, we think about where the disciples were, that they were in a place just in the three days post when Jesus was taken down from the cross to when the tomb would be rolled away. Everyone was fearful. All of the Roman Empire was in upheaval. There was talk of revolt. There was talk of riot. The Roman Empire wanted to shut down the idea that Jesus would be resurrected because the resurrection is what proclaims the divinity of Christ. The resurrection is what seals everything, all the prophecy. It, ma it makes it true because Jesus can hang on a cross, he can die, but if he doesn't resurrect then it's not full. Prophecy isn't fulfilled. And so you go and you read all the prophecies in those, those uh, last two chapters of the Gospels, and you see how all these prophecies start to become uh, fulfilled. One prophecy is need is, is one of the undercover uh, disciples who was in the Jewish court was uh, Caiaphas. And he uh, had become a Christ follower, but he didn't tell the Pharisees so that he could, you know, with the hope of, of turning the Pharisees over to Jesus. And so it's neat, Caiaphas was a very rich man, and he was the one, or Joseph of Arimathea, I'm sorry, was a very rich man, and he was the one who decided to give his tomb to Jesus. 
And there was a prophecy in Isaiah that said Jesus would be laid with the rich when he were to die. And so little did he know that uh, this is a prophecy fulfilled because he gave, this rich man gave his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. That was a prophecy fulfilled. And Caiaphas, who was the head of the Jewish court, he didn't know that he was doing this. And he was infuriated because that means all the people were looking, oh, that prophecy just got fulfilled. Maybe this really is Jesus and he's going to be resurrected. Prophecy was being fulfilled before their eyes. So that was one awesome prophecy that had happened. And so we know the story. Three days later, Jesus resurrected. The tomb was rolled away. Uh, Mary of Magdalene uh, ended up coming, and she saw the tomb was rolled away, and she runs and she tells the disciples. Now, in those three days, there's a bounty on the disciples' heads. that They want to find where these men are hiding out. Any Jesus followers, they want to silence them because of the, the uprising that's starting to take place. And so they're, in, they're in, uh, fearful. They're not knowing what's going to happen. You have to think of what, what happened with Peter, the apostle Peter. He denied Jesus three times, right? And so you can tell that he is guilt-ridden. He is full of shame. I can't believe I denied Jesus. And Peter wasn't anywhere to be seen during the time when Christ was being crucified. He, was, he ran away because of what he had done. He was full of shame and guilt. But who was right there with Jesus? It was uh, John and Mary. They were with Jesus throughout the entire resurrection, which is pretty cool. And so Peter, he's off. The other apostles are in hiding and not knowing what's going to happen. And so when they get word and uh, Mary goes and tells the disciples that the tomb had been rolled away, there, a, some faith starts to, to happen within them. And what's happening on the other side with the Romans is they just found out that this tomb was rolled away so they're getting fearful because maybe this whole resurrection thing is true. And Caiaphas, the, the head Pharisee, is getting fearful because maybe this whole resurrection thing is true. And so some other backstory, which is pretty crazy, is if you go and you read what, at the resurrection time, you would know that there was lots of Roman soldiers that guarded that tomb because they didn't want a resurrection to be staged for all the disciples to come and push the, the stone away and then stage a resurrection to prove they were true. So there was all these Roman soldiers around, and what it says is, is an angel descended and pushed the tombstone away, and all the soldiers were taken back and, and awe in the glory of what had just happened. And so uh, Pilate was so furious that this had happened. He, what, if you go and you read the context of it, he had every single one of those soldiers killed, murdered, because they allowed that to take place, because they wanted to shush any eyewitness up that the resurrection didn't happen. So all this was taking place. And then they sent out um, uh, mercenaries to go and hunt down these apostles to keep the story quiet so it wouldn't leave Jerusalem of what the resurrection had happened. And so I want to take us to a passage of Scripture when we see when Mary had ran back to the hideout, to the cave, uh, to the house where these apostles were hiding. I want you to see something that's so... That's amazing. When Jesus appears to the disciples, I want to read it to you, and it comes out of John 20, verse 19 uh, through 20. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, or the scripture will be up on the screen. And this is the theme of it is Jesus about to commission the apostles. It says in verse 19, I'll read through it quickly and, and share some truth to you. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So it shows that the disciples 
were in fear of the Jews or the Pharisees or the Romans coming and finding them. And it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, so Jesus appeared to them in, the, in his resurrected body. How awesome is this? Imagine being one of the disciples in that time and you get to see the resurrect, right, resurrected Jesus. He says, peace be with you. And what's funny there is you'll see in other accounts of appearances of Jesus, it's because he was in his, his resurrected body. He didn't look like they were used to seeing him. There, there, there's a, a point, and we'll get to in a minute, where they, when Jesus was off on a, on a beach on a shore and they were on a boat fishing, they were looking, they're like, there's no way that can be Jesus. That doesn't look like Jesus. So his whole body looked completely different because he was resurrected. And if you know scripture, it says one day we're going to have resurrected bodies. So we're going to look different, which is kind of cool. And so he says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands, the, the holes that were in his hands, and his side where he was pierced. And the disciples were glad and full of joy that they had saw the Lord. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this scripture in our Bible benefit series up next. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So he's telling the disciples, go out into the world and tell people they are released, that they are forgiven, that I'm alive, I can forgive sins. Verse 24, and here's a good story. Anyone ever heard the story of Doubting Thomas? Sound familiar? It says, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So there was only 10 disciples in the room. Now, where was the 11th disciple? That was Judas, and we know the betrayal he did. So he was, uh, Scripture says, he actually ended up hanging himself, committing suicide uh, because he was overtaken by a demon spirit. And then the 12th uh, apostle, Thomas, he uh, wasn't in the room when Jesus appeared. And so uh, the disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. They're excited. Thomas, we've seen God. We've seen Jesus. He's resurrected. And so Thomas said to them, unless I, see the, unless I see in his hands the print of nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. And here's where a miracle takes place. And Thomas was with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Then he quotes the beatitude that Jesus taught, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's you and I, we're the ones that are blessed because we have not seen. We haven't seen the resurrected Jesus, but it's our faith and it's the Holy Spirit that's within us that confirms that Jesus is real and that he's alive. Now, what's neat about Thomas, and I think we can all identify with, we've, have, we, have you ever been in a season where you've just doubted that God's gonna come through for you? The song we sang this morning, our, sometimes our faith can be on empty, where we feel we've tried, we've believed God, we've done everything we know to do, and our faith feels like it's on empty. In Thomas, uh, a lot of times the scripture has been taught where Thomas was resistant, he was arrogant. I don't believe that Jesus resurrected. That wasn't the attitude that Thomas was coming forth in. There was a longing 
for it to be true, and he wanted the revelation of it to be true, that he was saying, I just can't believe that it's true. Everything in me wants it to be true, but I have to see him for myself. That's the attitude that Thomas was coming forth in, and I think that's a lot of the attitude when we're doubting as believers. It's not we're arrogant or God can't do that. We know deep down God can do it. It's just our faith is on empty, and it's hard to get our faith to where it needs to be. Anybody ever been there before? And so out of the loving kindness of Jesus, because he cared about Thomas so much, and as he cared for Thomas, he cares for you and I, that he gave Thomas the assurance that he was alive. So he appeared, and he showed Thomas that he was alive, and he was Lord. And Thomas was overwhelmed, and he says, my Lord and my God. And when God comes through, and we see the miracle as Judy did, and as as Kim was sharing, we just fall to our knees, and we say, God, I knew you were real. I knew you would come through. And your faith is encouraged, and then you get a spirit within you that says, I know that he'll do it again. I know that he'll do it again. When I go through tough times, he's going to do it again. And I want to read this to you out of an early church study Bible that just confirms the commentary of Thomas. It says that the doubt of Thomas is described in the church hymns as blessed. So his doubt was considered blessed. For it was not a doubt of resistance to truth, but one that desperately desired a truthful answer. And and again, a lot of us are in that place where we want a truthful answer. Jesus, speak to us. Show us what's going on in the season. It says, a doubt which gave birth to faith. When the answer was revealed, it says, the conversation of Thomas, doubt into faith led him to the clearest confession of Christ's divinity, addressing Jesus as my Lord and my God. When we see God move for us, it leads us to a confession that he's real. When you've seen God move, move in your life, there's no politician, there's no situation in your life, there's no media channel that can tell you that Jesus is not real because you've experienced it for himself. And this was the confidence that Thomas had because he was going to need it. All the apostles were going to need it because what they were about to be sent into. As we said last week, all the apostles, they were persecuted and they were martyred for their faith. That's the kind of faith that they needed because the message they were going to tell. So that's, and you know, you feel bad for Thomas because he doubted once and everyone calls him Doubting Thomas. Why do you feel bad for him? Why did he deserve that? And so we see this process in these 40 days where the disciples were waiting for instruction to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and then to go out. And I want to tell you, if you're in a season where you feel like you're waiting, as we get into the first book of Acts, you're going to see a pattern. And at the end of the Gospels, you're going to see a pattern of how Jesus dealt with the disciples in a waiting season. Anybody ever been in a waiting season? It comes in life. We can't escape them. When we're in transition or we're in route, a lot of us, we have faith when it begins and we have faith in the end, but most of life is found in the middle. And that's where our faith needs to be stronger than ever because faith in the beginning, you're excited and faith in the end, you're excited because of a promise fulfilled, but it's faith in the middle where it's tough, where you really have to believe and you have to trust God every day when you wake up. You're believing for your miracle. And so we see a pattern of how Jesus deals with the disciples. I want to give it to you and break it down a little more. But Jesus provides, he gives the promise and then he asks of a petition. So three Ps to make it easy. He gives provision, he gives promise, and then he gives petition. Where Jesus just didn't go to the disciples and said, go into all the world. Those 40 days, he brought healing to each and every one of those disciples. 
Because again, you have to remember where they were. Peter was full of guilt and full of shame. The disciples thought that Jesus was going to establish an empire that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. That's what they had in their mind. But Jesus did something completely different. So what all their faith and hope was and a promise that they thought Jesus was going to fill, all was shattered. All was shattered. So they felt, okay, these three and a half years that we were following Jesus, was it a lie? Was Jesus just conning us? What's going on here? They had a lot of doubt themselves. And so you see there's another awesome story you can read in the account of John. It says it's uh, uh, titled On the Road to Emmaus. And there's two apostles that are, if you know the story, there's two apostles that are heading down a path. They're walking out of Jerusalem to Emmaus because they just kind of gave up. Like, well, Jesus, it was the third day when they were walking. We don't know if Jesus is going to be resurrected. And, you know, everything's crazy. Everyone wants us dead. So we're going to get out of town. Anybody ever felt like that in a tough season? You just want to run. You're tired of dealing with it. You just want to run and get out of that situation. So that's where these two apostles were. They were walking and it says that a man appeared before these apostles. And they didn't know it, but we know it because we can read the story. But the man that appeared was Jesus. But it says that Jesus uh, disguised himself. So these two men are walking, and Jesus has disguised himself, and Jesus starts to have a conversation with them. And he, if you read the story, it says that he asked, he started having a conversation like, hey, did you, did you hear what happened? In, or the, the men asked Jesus, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus just kind of feeling him out. He said, no, what happened? And so uh, they just start telling him, you didn't hear what had happened in Jerusalem? That Jesus Christ had been uh, hung on the cross and today's the third day and he hasn't resurrected? It's, it's amazing what's going to happen in a second. So Jesus is walking with them and scripture says that uh, the day began uh, to, to become dark. So it was in the evening and, and the, the apostles had asked this man, hey, you want to come in and, and we'll have some dinner and you can sleep with us and you, know, you can hang out with us till the morning? And Jesus says yes and says that they sit down to have dinner and uh, uh, this man who's Jesus takes the bread and the wine that they have they're about to eat and it says that it, right when he breaks the bread, the scales are removed from those two men's eyes and they realize, Jesus, we were with Jesus the entire time. And it says, right when they got the revelation, Jesus vanished, and he wasn't with them anymore. But the scripture after, that's amazing, is it says, they look at each other, and, and you can tell, you can just kind of play your imagination, they punch each other. How do we not know it was him? We felt the burning in our heart the whole time, but we didn't know it was him. And what's neat, when they said they felt the burning in their heart, the early church study will tell you that when truth is presented properly, and in faith, a burning comes in your heart. When you read the word of God or you're under anointed teaching, there should be a burning that starts to happen in your heart because you're receiving revelation, you're receiving truth. So little did they know the reason they were feeling that because they were under the anointing himself. And that's what they were feeling in his life and by his truth. And we saw the breaking of the bread even symbolize the communion. It's awesome. And so it's, it's funny, it says they literally get up within the same hour and they head back, so they don't even sleep. They walk in the night, I'm sure they ran to go and tell all the apostles that Jesus is risen. But they didn't know that Jesus had appeared to them as well. But they were just so excited and couldn't wait to get back. I'm going to share one more appearance, I believe it will encourage you. It uh, is one where the appearance to Peter, 
And this is found in, in the account of John as well. And, and uh, this is one of my favorites. But it says that um, the apostles, it's day three, and they're you know, waiting for Jesus to be resurrected to see if this whole thing is true. And it says all the disciples had went back, because a lot of them were fishermen. That's what they did. That was their trade. And it's kind of funny. Well, we just followed Jesus, so I guess we're just going to go back to what was comfortable. So they all just go back and they start fishing again. And so all the, the apostles are out in the, in the sea, it says, not too far from the shore fishing. And as they're fishing, they're just doing their day-to-day thing. They see a man not too far on the shore. And so they see this man, and all the, it's funny because it says all the disciples are looking, trying to make out who's the man on the shore. And the man who recognizes who the man on the shore is, which is Jesus, was the Apostle John. And if you know about the Apostle John from the, the Last Supper, was that he was the one closest to Jesus. And what the amazing thing about that is, that study will tell you, is when you have a love for God, it gives you spiritual insight. John had the most love for God, so he had the spiritual insight. That's Jesus. So if you need direction and wisdom and insight in your life, you develop a heart of love for Jesus and watch the insight that will come into your life. So we see that from John. So John recognizes, recognizes it's Jesus, and Peter, who's the one who's brass and, and the leader of the apostles and always, uh, as uh, Robert Morris said on Wednesday, always gets caught with his foot in his mouth because he speaks too soon. He jumps out of the boat and he has a net with him. And again, they're not too far from the shore, so it's standing ground. And as he has this net, the miracle of the fish starts to happen where uh, his net becomes full of fish and he starts pulling it in. And all the other disciples, they start rowing their boat into shore to go and meet with Jesus. And the prophetic application behind, it says in your Bible that there was 153 fish that were in the net that Peter was pulling in. Which if we know Peter, Jesus tells Peter earlier that on this rock I'm going to build my church. So Peter was going to be what's known as the Pope or the leader of the first church. And so he's coming in with 153 fish, which at the time represents the nations, that Christ was going to give Peter and the apostles the nations, that they were to take the gospel into the world. So the fish represent that. So as they step onto shore, Jesus is there. And what's neat, as you read, it said that Jesus had built a campfire. Jesus had a campfire and was waiting for them. One, probably because they were wet, and two, it was, uh, I think it says it was breakfast time, so they were going to eat. And so the uh, other uh, disciples, the fish that they had caught, Jesus says, hey, throw your fish down, let's have breakfast together. So Jesus appears to them and says, hey, you want to have breakfast? And it's funny because at the same time, they're, they know it's Jesus, but he doesn't look like them. And it says they were wrestling, is that really him? Should we ask him? But nobody wanted to ask him because they knew in their, in their heart it was him. It's kind of funny. Anybody ever been in a place where you walk into a restaurant and you know the person, but you don't know their name? Anybody ever been there before? So it's kind of the same situation. Well, we know the person, but we don't know their name. So that's when you go, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, bro. You know, you pull out all those. So I'm sure they, hey, bro, what's up? You know, that's how they were with Jesus. And so they sit around this campfire. And I'm sure they're talking. They're asking all these questions. And we see a moment of healing that begins to take place. And what happens is Jesus slips away with Peter and Jesus wants to deal with Peter's hurt. Because remember, Peter, he's guilt-ridden. He denied Jesus. He wasn't there 
at the resurrection, or at the, uh, when Christ was crucified, he had jumped ship. And so Jesus knew what Peter was dealing with. If you've ever been in a place of, of guilt or shame, you know what it feels like. So Jesus cared so much about Peter, so Jesus uh, slips away with Peter, and, and he asks him three questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? If you've read the story, you know the response. It says, uh, Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus replies, well, if you love me, then feed my sheep. So he asks him the same question three different times. If you look at the, the church study of it, is he was addressing Peter first at agape love. Do you love me with agape love? And the reason Jesus asked him again is because he wasn't feeling the unconditional love that Peter was coming forth in. So he asked him again, do you love me? And, and secondly, what he asked him in was the phileo love. Do you at least have brotherly love for me. That's what he was trying to get Peter to the place of agape love because he was going to need such a love for God for what Peter was going to have to deal, deal with and go through in the persecution. So we see this healing moment that's taking place between Peter and Jesus. And before Peter leaves, healing had taken place in his life. You see how important it was that they waited and that they allowed Jesus to minister to them before he sent them into a new season. So many times when we go into a new season in our life, we just want to rush right into it. Not making sure that we're healed and we're ready. Now, a lot of the times we're not ready and we just trust the Holy Spirit, and that's just life. But if you're not connected to the vine, if you're not in communion with Christ and you get pushed into a new season, it could be your downfall. But that's what the amazing thing is about Jesus, is he heals Peter's shame. He heals Thomas's doubt. So they were in this 40 day, days of, of a healing journey. And throughout all of it, he provided for them. He gave them a promise. And then he asked them, are you ready to go out into all the world? And again, that's what we talked of last week is he took them from fear to faith. And that's where he's taking all of us in our lives and on our journeys. He's taking us from the fear in our life to faith. What's neat about Peter as you get into Acts 2 and what we'll get into later this month is Peter's first sermon. Now I'm jealous of Peter because Peter's first sermon that he preached, 3,000 people came forward and were saved and were filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And you know, these, the thing about the apostles is they were fishermen. They didn't study at the University of Jerusalem. They didn't sit under these Pharisees and have all this biblical truth. Jesus went into their world and just called normal people like you and I. And that should encourage you that Jesus doesn't look for the most educated, the most beautiful, the most talented. He looks for people of simple faith and people that will allow the work of the Holy Spirit to flow in their lives. And that's who the apostles were, that they had an openness and a willingness to the Holy Spirit that they could surrender. And that's the thing that touches the heart of God. And that's the thing that you have to protect in your life, that you don't allow the bait of Satan, which is offense and hurt and bitterness to keep you from a trust and a simple faith in Christ. Because the enemy knows if he can take that, then he won't use you. And he wants to destroy that place where you're in a love relationship with Jesus. And so to close this morning, I want to begin to look at the book of Acts. And this is where we're going to jump into these next weeks. And I believe next week we're going to look at the power of Pentecost. And, and what is given to you and I and how we have the Holy Spirit operating 
in our lives. I want to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, which we talked about, says all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. You know, a lot of people, there's a movie that just came out called The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel, he wrote a book on it and they made a movie on it. And one of the biggest things that critics, atheists, scientists want to disprove is the resurrection of Christ. But you know how we know the resurrection is real? Just based off, there's many ways we know it's real, but based off this is because of the miracles that the apostles took place in. Those could not happen if Christ was not resurrected. If Christ wasn't resurrected, then we would never have the power of God in our life. So the fact that the apostles did all these amazing miracles and the, mir- the miracles of the church that this church has seen, that the church in the past century has seen, are proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's, it says, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, again, was preparing them and focusing them on, get ready because you're taking the kingdom into all the world. You 12 guys are taking the kingdom and women Mary of Magdalene was an apostle as well. So ladies, this wasn't all the guys. This is the ladies too. They took this message into the world. And it says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So that's the petition. Where they wanted to leave Jerusalem because it was so persecuted. Imagine the most persecuted place in the world today. That's where these apostles had to stay. So Jesus ask of them, he petitions with them, don't leave yet. And that's why he had to to remind them uh, to provide for them, to give them the promise to ask them to stay. So they knew that he was real. And that's why he could ask of that, to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the Father. And he reminds them, you've heard me, for John truly baptized with water, but there's coming a day that you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, therefore, then they came together and they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So after all these appearances Jesus has made, he's healed their lives. They still have this mindset that Jesus is going to create this kingdom that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. See how simple these guys were? They just, Jesus, when are you going to persecute these Romans for what they have done to us? But what they didn't realize is that Jesus wasn't going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He was going to restore the world, which is you and I, and Israel to the kingdom. He restores everything in this life to the kingdom of God. That's the restoration power of God that he was trying to get them to understand. Is I'm about to redeem. I'm about to forgive. We're about to turn the world upside down with the power of God. And he said to them, is it not for you to know the time or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority? But here it is, and this is right before the heavens opened up and there were angels waiting and Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. Power. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Witnesses. To me in Jerusalem, which means your hometown, Judea, the region, the northern Kentucky area, and Samaria, which means the world, and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying that you're to take this message locally 
and you're to take it globally. You're to go and preach the power of God. And you see as the disciples, when they received the Holy Spirit, they turned the whole world upside down. There was healings. There was miracles. And we're going to look at a lot of those, and they're going to encourage your faith. And it's not just for these men of God. It's for the church. All of us have the Spirit of God within us, that we can take authority over the areas of our life, and we can have the power of God operating through us. Aren't you thankful that you have the power of God in your life? That in your darkest time, His power is in your life. In our darkest time, He's still good, like we sang this morning. And that's power that we hold on to. So next week, we're going to look at the power of Pentecost and to encourage you and, and to build your faith. I want to take a look at a video. If you've ever seen uh, the movie AD, it, it, it documents and it was a, a big score that was done uh, to show the life of the apostles. But this is the upper room experience when Jesus called them together in Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit was poured upon them. So take a look at this and I believe it will encourage you. Now we can leave this place. Now spread his word. Doesn't that give you goosebumps? Doesn't that excite you? When the power of God came in that moment, the church was born and confidence came into their life. These, these men and women who were so fearful went to exuberant faith in their life because the power of God touched their life. And that same power that you just saw is available for you and I. And that's the power that we believe. And that's the power we give room for in this church. That the Holy Spirit can meet you and can touch your life. So this morning I want to invite you to stand with me. I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
and we're going to take a moment and, and sing that song that I still believe. That the same power that happened then, we still believe in this morning. And to come into one accord together. So if you bow your head with me, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. For more messages like this one, check out our website at gatheringplacechurch.com.